హలో అండ్ వెల్కమ్ బ్యాక్ టు విజాకోస్ జీ మ్యాట్ పాడ్కాస్ట్ మై నేమ్ ఇస్ భాస్కర్ ఇన్ దిస్ ఎపిసోడ్ వీఆర్ గోయింగ్ టు బీ లుకింగ్ ఎట్ వన్ థింగ్ దట్ వీ లెఫ్ట్ అన్ఫినిష్డ్ ఇన్ ద లాస్ట్ ఎపిసోడ్ ఇన్ ద లాస్ట్ ఎపిసోడ్ వీ డెల్ట్ విత్ కాన్సెప్ట్స్ అబౌట్ టైప్స్ ఆఫ్ నంబర్స్ ఎసెన్షియలీ ద నంబర్ సిస్టమ్స్ ఇస్ వాట్ వీ ఫోకస్డ్ ఇన్ ద లాస్ట్ ఎపిసోడ్ వీ ఎండ్ ఎట్ దట్ ఎపిసోడ్ విత్ త్రీ క్వశ్చన్స్ వన్ ప్రాబ్లమ్ సాల్వింగ్ క్వశ్చన్ అండ్ టూ డేటా సఫిషియన్సీ క్వశ్చన్స్ టు గెట్ అస్ ఎ ఫీల్ అబౌట్ వాట్ కైండ్ ఆఫ్ క్వశ్చన్స్ విల్ దట్ కాన్సెప్ట్ ట్రాన్స్లేట్ టు ఇన్ ద జీ మ్యాట్ this episode we're going to be looking at solutions to all of those three questions let's get started with the first one the first question would have been a 600 level gmat question it's a medium difficulty question it's not very difficult i'll read the question and then let's quickly run through the answer options and do the solution for it which of the following numbers is irrational was the question we had five answer options let's start with the first one answer option a was square root of 20 upon 45 Well, let's just look at the fraction alone. Let's keep the square root aside for a moment. The fraction is 20 upon 45. Both 20 and 45 are divisible by 5. Let's divide the numerator and denominator by 5. That will leave us with a 4 upon 9. So, square root of 20 upon 45 will reduce to square root of 4 upon 9. This can be written as a square root of 4 divided by square root of 9. Square root of 4 is a 2. Square root of 9 is a 3. So the net answer is 2 upon 3 or a 2 by 3. 2 by 3 is of the form p by q where p and q are integers such that q is not equal to 0. It's a fraction. So therefore it is a rational number. Our question is to find out numbers which are irrational. This is a rational number. So it is not irrational. Answer option A is not our answer. Let's move on to answer option B. The number given there was 7 root 3 divided by square root of 27. I'm going to take the denominator square root of 27 and rewrite the 27 as a 9 times 3. So what we'll end up getting is 7 root 3 divided by root 27 will become 7 root 3 divided by square root of 9 times 3. We can take the 9 out of the square root. That will become a 3. So 7 root 3 divided by root 27 will end up becoming 7 root 3 divided by 3 root 3. We have a root 3 as a term, both in the numerator and the denominator. It will cancel with each other to leave us with an answer, which is 7 by 3. It's a fraction. Therefore, this is also a rational number. The answer option B is not the correct answer. Let's move on to answer option C. This is 1 upon root 64. It's a very simple one. 64 is a perfect square. So, root 64 is an 8. So, 1 upon root 64 is equal to 1 upon 8, which is a fraction. Therefore, it's a rational number. Answer option C is also not irrational. So that's not the answer. Let's move on to answer option D. Answer option D is 7 upon 3.1. We'll multiply both the numerator and the denominator by a 10. So we'll end up getting 70 upon 31. 70 upon 31 is a fraction where both P and Q are integers. So it's a rational number. So answer option D is also not the correct answer. It's not an irrational number. So that leaves us with only one option. E has to be the irrational number. Let's quickly see how it becomes an irrational number. The rational behind it becoming an irrational number. The number is square root of 36 upon 63. Let's just focus on the fraction right now. 36 upon 63. Both 36 and 63 are divisible by 9. So let's divide both the numerator and denominator by 9. We'll end up getting a 4 upon 7. So square root of 36 by 63 is equal to square root of 4 divided by 7. Square root of 4 divided by 7 can be written as square root of 4 divided by square root of 7. Square root of 4 is a 2. So net answer is 2 divided by root 7. 7 is not a perfect square. So you're going to be left with only a root 7. 2 divided by root 7. Root 7 is irrational. 
which means 2 divided by root 7 is also going to be an irrational number. Choice E is the correct answer. The 600 level question, you have to actually simplify it to get to the answer. It's not possible to just look at the numbers and say which is going to be rational or which is going to be irrational. They are not going to make it that easy. But it is not a difficult question. Let's move on to the second question. That's a data sufficiency question. If you have not done data sufficiency questions in the past, my suggestion is please pause this podcast right now. Go to the YouTube channel of Vizaco, which is youtube.com slash Vizaco, W-I-Z-A-K-O. You will find a playlist called data sufficiency. Play the first video in the playlist. It's a 30 minute video. It will give you a good starting introductory lesson on how to solve data sufficiency questions and all the different answer options. Go through it and then come back to the podcast. Those of you who are already familiar with data sufficiency, let's get started with question number two. Question number two is a 650 level question. The question basically was this. Is the positive number x an integer? The question stem tells us that x is a positive number. What we need to answer is whether that number is an integer. Let's start with the first step. What is the question? The question is an is question. Is questions, what kind of answers will an is question get? An is question is going to be getting an answer which is an yes or a no. For example, we'll ask, is today a Monday? If today happened to be a Monday, you're going to be answering it with an S. If today happened to be a Wednesday, you'll say the answer is a no. So is questions will have to get yes or no as an answer. If you get a conclusive yes, the data is sufficient. If you get a conclusive no, the data is sufficient. But if you say, hey, sometimes it's an S, sometimes it's a no, which is when the data is not sufficient. Right? We got clarity on what kind of an answer we should get. When is the data sufficient? Let's get around to evaluating the two statements. Let's start with statement one. Statement 1 tells us that 5x is an integer. The approach I'm going to take to solve this question is basically this. I'm going to look for a counterexample. What do we mean by a counterexample? A counterexample is one where we'll pick this information 5x as an integer and that is going to hold good. For one of those examples, when 5x is an integer, we'll get an answer that x is an integer. If you are able to find one more example where 5x is still an integer, but x is not an integer, then we can go ahead and say, hey, you said 5x is an integer. I've got two values. In both the cases, 5x was an integer. One instance, x happened to be an integer. And in the other one, x was not an integer. So despite knowing 5x is an integer, I'm not able to answer your question whether x is an integer. Let's find an example for 5x being an integer and x also being an integer. Take 5x to be a 5. Is 5x an integer? Yes. If 5x is a 5, what is x? x is equal to 1. Is that an integer? Yes. So I found an example where 5x is an integer and x is also an integer. Good. Let's look at a counter example, an opposite example. 5x should be an integer, but x should not be an integer. Let's go with 5x equals 4. Is 5x an integer? Yes, 5x is an integer. Is x an integer in this case? x is a 4 upon 5, which means it's not an integer. So we have found an example where 5x is an integer, but x is not. We could find an example where x was also an integer. We could find a counter where x is not an integer, which means knowing that 5x is an integer is of absolutely zero value in determining whether x is an integer. So statement one has been not of help to us. Statement one is not sufficient. If you had gone through the video about the process, the moment you realize that statement one is not sufficient, you can eliminate answer options A and D. That leaves us with three options, B, C, or E. To check which one this is, we're evaluating statement 2 alone to start with. Statement 2 tells us x upon 5 is an integer. So let's write it in terms of an equation. 
So x upon 5 equals i. Let's say i is an integer. Capital I is an integer. So if x upon 5 equals i, cross multiplying the 5, we'll get x is equal to 5 times i. 5 times i is 5 times an integer. 5 times an integer is definitely an integer. You multiply 5 with any integer, the answer has to be an integer. Which means what have we got? We got x is an integer. So if x upon 5 is an integer, x definitely will have to be an integer. It cannot be anything other than that. Statement 2 has given us a definite s, a conclusive s, without an iota of doubt. So statement 2 alone is sufficient. Statement 1 was not sufficient. Statement 2 is sufficient, which means answer option B is the correct answer to this question. Let's so move to the third question. This is a tad bit more difficult. This question, I'll classify it as a 700 level question. I'll read the question, the statements, and then let's set about solving it. If A, B, and C are non-zero numbers, how many of these three numbers are positive? Let's get started with what all information it's saying. They've given us three numbers, A, B, and C. They've said that those are non-zero numbers, which means those numbers could be positive, those numbers could be negative. When I say numbers could be positive, numbers could be negative, keep this thing in mind. The numbers need not necessarily be integers. 0 0.3 is a positive number. Minus 8.4 is a negative number. They've not said these numbers are integers. Say so they need not be integers, but the only thing that we know from the question stem is these are non-zero numbers. What is the question asking us to find out? It's asking us to find out how many of these three numbers are positive. Four possibilities exist. None positive, one positive, two positives, all three positives. But you cannot say either two or three could be positive. That is not allowed. You should come up with one single answer. You should be able to say, I know for a fact so many of these numbers are positive. Let's set about finding it out using the statements. Let's start with statement one as always. The sum of these three numbers a plus b plus c is greater than 0. So some of the three numbers is positive. Let's see if we can eliminate some possibilities within that. Is it possible that the sum will be positive? Will the all three numbers being negative? a is negative, b is negative, c is negative. Can the sum be positive? That is not possible. So all three numbers being negative, which is none of the numbers being positive, is not a possibility. So that is ruled out. So of the four, we know one certainly is not there. Can we have one positive number and two negative numbers and the sum can it be positive? Certainly yes. If the magnitude of the positive number is greater than the sum of the magnitudes of the negative number, this is going to happen. Let's take an example to see this. Let's say A is a positive number which is equal to 10. B is equal to minus 2. C is equal to minus 3. The sum of these three numbers is going to be positive. So one positive, two negative, the sum can be positive. Can two of these numbers be positive and one be negative and the sum be positive? Certainly yes. Take A to be equal to a 10, B to be equal to a 5. These two numbers are positive. C is a minus 1. The sum is positive. Can all three of them be positive and the sum be positive? Absolutely. No doubt at all. So from statement 1, we don't have a single answer. We have just ruled out one possibility. We are saying that still three possibilities exist. One of these numbers is positive. Two of these numbers are positive. Or all three are positive. We are giving three possible answers. Which means statement 1 is not sufficient. We have not got a unique answer. We have said that statement 1 is not sufficient, we can eliminate answer options A and D. Statement 2 states that the number of negative numbers is more than the number of positive numbers. We have three numbers, they are saying you got more negative numbers than positive numbers. When you are evaluating statement 2, evaluate statement 2 alone. Forget ever having read statement 1. So all that we know right now is that we have more negative numbers than positive numbers. Let's see what all possible combinations can exist with this. Can all of the three numbers be negative? Yes, three negative, zero positive will have more negative numbers than positive numbers. So that's one possibility. 
can we have two negative numbers and one positive number yes two negative one positive there are more negative numbers than positive numbers this is also a possibility can we have one negative number and two positive numbers no the number of negative numbers is not greater than the number of positive numbers certainly we cannot have zero negative and three positive and satisfy the condition given in statement 2 so if statement 2 were true then how many possibilities we have we have three negative and zero positive or two negative and one positive so how many of these numbers are positive we still left with two answer options none of them need to be positive or one number can be positive is what we end up with so statement 2 is also not sufficient because it gives us two possibilities with that we can eliminate answer option b so it leaves us with combining the two statements let's just quickly check out what all possibilities existed with statement 1 statement 1 gave us three possibilities one of these numbers is positive two of these numbers could be positive or all three could be positive so we had three possibilities with statement 1 statement 2 what all possibilities did it leave us with it left us with the possibility that none of these numbers need to be positive or one number is positive if the information given in both the statements need to be true check out if there is anything that's common between the two statements one positive two negative is a possibility for statement 1 one positive two negative is also a possibility for statement 2 let's just pick that possibility and see whether both the statements hold good for a moment and then if that is true then we have a conclusive answer if you have two negative numbers and one positive number can the sum be greater than 0 yes the two negative numbers let's say are a equals minus 2 b equals minus 3 the sum right now is minus 5 i pick a positive number whose magnitude is greater than 5 the net result is going to be positive let's take an example minus 2 minus 3 and 10 so the positive number is one in number the positive number has such a great magnitude that the sum of all these three numbers ends up being a positive number so statement 1 holds good with one positive number will statement 2 hold good yes i have one positive number and two negative numbers so there are more negative numbers than the number of positive numbers so if two statements are taken together if both these information are true then the only value that satisfies it is when we have one positive number combining the two statements we have a conclusive definite answer that one of these three numbers is positive statements together are sufficient statements together are sufficient answer option c is the correct answer beautiful question the third one there's nothing that's not known to us in it but these questions are the ones which are the juicier ones that you tend to get in the data sufficiency part of the gmat next episode we're going to be starting with concepts on prime numbers and composite numbers so to end this i'm going to ask you a very simple question look at any tens for example numbers from 10 to 19 numbers from 20 to 29 numbers from 30 to 39 in any of these tens what is the maximum number of prime numbers can you see until next time stay healthy stay safe and stay motivated